Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Today, we are talking to Lino Martinez. Lino um, was a caseworker at the Home for Little Wanderers in D.C. He also currently works on Capitol Hill for the U.S. House of Representatives, Committee on Energy and Commerce, and he manages digital operations for the nonprofit Foster Strong, which just recently launched. And we are featuring uh, several of the people who are working with Foster Strong in order to raise awareness about foster care success stories and people who have been through the foster care system and made a really great life for themselves. And many of them are now doing work to help other kids in foster care. So thank you, Lino, for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You know, Lino, I find it absolutely amazing. You know, as for me, I'm probably old enough to be your dad. Um, you know, I hope not. But, um, but you know, the thing that, that I always find surprising is that when I was a kid growing up in the system, when I aged out of the system, as I was going through my 20s and my 30s and, and building my career, I had no one. I mean, literally no one that I knew that said that they were in foster care. So I had no role models at all. Um, I had no one on TV that, you know, if I did see, hear the word foster care on TV, it was always a dirty kid um, or a kid that was being put in, you know, juvie. Um, there was never, ever anything positive about foster care. And now all of a sudden you guys come out and this is amazing because I truly believe that this is what our younger generation needs is to see successful people. But each and every one of us are touched by your story. So we'd love to hear what your story is. I actually... I uh, went into care when I was five years old. Um, I'm, I'm originally, you know, from California, as I mentioned. And uh, the, the thing about my story is that the, it starts off and it's pretty much just me, my sister, and my mom. I think that's who, who who it was. And when we were placed into care, we were actually living in a women's battered shelter at the time. And the it was it was very abrupt. And I actually remember the day, the exact day, and I'm sure a lot of uh, you two are placed in foster care. I remember the exact day that they were removed. And for me, it was, uh, I was in the back of this patrol car with my sister, uh, heading to an orphanage and where we lived for a, a little while before, you know, it was a transitional phase before we put into a bunch of different foster care homes. I ended up with one foster family that I stayed with until I was 18 and left for college. And that's, you know, in a very abbreviated way, um, kind of my story. Um, and after college, I moved to Boston, uh, clear across the country. I started working as a, actually door to door. I was doing solar energy consulting. Um, and then I, and then I became a caseworker in the realm of social work, social work. And I wanted to give back and I wanted to kind of use my experience to, um, to impact others. And so I was doing my work as a caseworker. 
I did this internship um, that I'm not sure if any of us are familiar with. It's the Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute that allows you for one summer to intern on Capitol Hill um, to do some advocacy work and to change the narrative and to actually change the system and to implement laws uh, surrounding foster care. And so when I got a taste of that, I got hooked and I knew and I felt obligated to use my voice to empower others to, you know, I, I hear this quote often with, I'm in my circles is, you know, I got a seat at the table to pull up the chair. And so that's kind of like what I want to do with, you know, my journey of having come from the foster care system, having overcome adversity and getting to this point. But the way that I summarize my story is in a, a metaphor, it's a very short metaphor. It's, at one point, I was a child in need. I was being fed by the system. Then I became a social worker where I was doing the feeding as part of the system. And now I'm here to create the meal. And that's kind of what I want to show is that everybody has the ability to create their own meal, create their own meal in that metaphorical sense and to advocate for themselves. And I want to empower others to be able to have that loud voice speak volumes. Wow. I, I agree 100% with you on all of that you just said. I, I say it quite often. Stop blaming the system. You know, help me change the system. Um, you know, I, as a, as for me, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. And, you know, being in the system at a young age and seeing my brothers and sisters who have all fallen to the wayside, um, you know, it, it was very hard for me. You know, brothers in jail, you know, drug addictions and stuff like that. Um, do you think that because you were placed with one set of foster parents and they nurtured you and prepared you for a higher education is, is why you turned out the way you did? Um, I think that what actually it was more the fact that I had enough stability in my life to foster relationships in all, in all, in all avenues. So friendships at school, things like that. It was my ability to just, you know, and I have a stable enough home. Um, by all means, that, that home was the best. And um, in, in ways that, you know, eventually when I went off to college, there were like very, very, very much real ways in which I could not rely on that family to support me through college. And that was just the reality. And although I did spend a long time with them, and I do call my foster parents, mom, dad, I do, I do consider them in that capacity. Um, I do understand that there's a limit to how much they could have provided for me. And, and really what I see it, the benefit is this kind of consistency of a, of a social environment, being able to create relationships with friends, with teachers, with all kinds of people in my community to create family and access. Right. And I think that brings up an important point because I know for um, for Foster Care Awareness Month, I posted some statistics about kids being moved around from school to school so many times throughout their journey in foster care. They're moved from home to home, but then they change schools. And the opposite side of what you experienced is that when kids are removed so many times, not only is it taking them away from a family and it's taking them away from an education, but it's also taking them away from the ability to make, you know, to build relationships with teachers, with friends with other families with people that can care about them for the long run so that's great that even though you say your foster family maybe wasn't a hundred percent the greatest that you had that stability to be able to make relation or build relationships um, with other people 
I think we do such a disservice to kids, you know, as we continue to yank them from one home to the next, and especially, you know, from school to school. We've actually just um, passed something in our state of Maryland um, and definitely in our county where children in the system, um, we have to accommodate them to stay within their home-based school um, so they don't have that. We just had our, our, We just had our fifth child arrive in our home last fall. And he had been in several schools, several group homes, um, and we were adamant that he was going to stay at his base school and not go to the school district that we lived in because, you know, it's a senior year of high school, and I feel like we would have done so much damage by the moving constantly. You know, I'd like to know, where do you get your grit? You know, we all have it. We all find a place to pull it from. Where did you get yours? So it, it's actually, I love that you asked that because I've spent so much time thinking, because I've, I've legitimately asked myself the question time and time again, it's like, how did I get here? Why me? How did I end up as resilient as I am? How did I overcome all of this adversity? And like, what, what, what was it that set me apart from so many of my peers who, and brothers and sisters um, in care, and even real brothers and sisters, how, how, did, how, how did I end up different? And after years of reflection on that question, I realized it's actually one simple thing. And the simple thing is uh, something I call, you know, a process of emotional diversification. And it's the process whereby, you know, something happens to me and it makes me feel a certain way. And I ask a question about it and that question makes me feel a certain way. And that's just like the process. Um, it's basically perspective change. And so, for example, when I was first put into care, when I was five years old, back of that patrol car, living in that orphanage, I remember falling asleep. And every night that I went to sleep, I would think, you know, what did I do wrong? Because, I mean, I had seen enough cops on TV, you know, the, you know that TV show, um, that, you know, the bad the bad people always went in the back of the patrol car. And so as I was, you know, transitioning into the foster care system in the back of the patrol car, I, I reflected and I was like, I did something wrong. And I was five years old and I thought, it's my fault. My mom doesn't want me. And, I, and so those, that question, you know, does my mom not want that clearly elicits a very specific emotion, shame, guilt. And so one night I was watching a movie in this, in this orphanage every Friday. It was one, like, one of my most treasured memories is every Friday they would allow us to rent a different movie. And one movie that particularly stood out to me was the movie Anastasia. It's uh, about an orphan, you know, um, and the, the Romanov uh, Empire and about her reunification with her family. And through that narrative, I realized, you know, there's all these dynamic characters. Sometimes people were keeping away from, keeping her away from that. Sometimes she just couldn't be found. Like, not, it's not that her grandma didn't want her. She just didn't know where she was. And so I started applying those questions to myself and to my situation. I started asking myself, rather than those, just those two questions, uh, does my mom not want me or is it my fault? I started asking myself, wait, maybe she can't find me. Um, maybe something has happened to her. What What's going on? And so every time I asked a new question about the same situation, it gave me a different emotion. And what that did was that allowed me to not feel overwhelmed by one singular emotion that was debilitating. It allowed me to, to overcome that emotion and to feel many emotions at the same time and to actually be able to choose, to pick and choose. I eventually got the, the ability and to have the control to choose when I wanted to, which emotions happen to, depending on what I needed to do. 
And and it not with my emotional flexibility and bounce back and resilience that I would say and attribute to my grit. And that's the reason why I feel capable of overcoming any situation going forward in life because I know that I can tap into any emotion that I need to that is safe, that is comfortable, that is growth-inducing, that gets me where I want to and where I need to go. So wow. that's what I would say is that's amazing. where my grit comes from. And and you started to have that insight just from watching a movie at such a young age. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I, I I feel like some people just have that inside them yep. to understand certain things, and that speaks to how amazing kids are that are put in these awful situations. Resilient. Yes, Resilient. resiliency. Absolutely. You know, I, I say it all the time. You know, people. I get that question asked all the time. It's like where you know, for me, um, you know. You know, I'm a senior in high school and all of a sudden I'm homeless and I had to make a choice at that moment that I could um, fake it until I make it. And that means I would walk into school with my head held high and try to not make sure that people didn't know that I was homeless and I was living on the streets. And um, but yeah, you know, you impressed me, my friend. I you really, really impressed me. I'd like to know, do you have a relationship with your sister? Yeah. Yeah, I, my sister is my closest close relationship. I, I called her just the other day to actually speak to her about this because somebody asked me a question. We were playing this little question game, and it was like, what is your most treasured memory? And it was that memory of having that ability that the one singular night that I didn't cry myself to sleep in that orphanage was the night that we got to rent movies. And that movie, Anastasia, I fell asleep mid-movie, you know, as a kid. Um but that was one of my most special memories, and I still have a connection with my sister, Excel. And uh, she's actually one of the reasons why I got to where I'm at today, because she took part in this Congressional Coalition on Adoption Institute program a year before I did. And one random day just kind of sent me a post on Instagram and said, hey, apply for this. Check it out. And I applied for it then and there. And now here I am living in D.C. That's so crazy. That yeah, is that's amazing. That is so amazing. And by the way, I love DC. My family and I, we um, we started our journey um, with our children in DC. I'd lived in DC for almost 20 years. Um, our children were all, all four of our children were adopted through the DC Child and Family Services. Um, so DC is our home. And when we started our charity, Comfort Cases, we actually started it to give cases to kids in DC in the foster care system. So, um, I'm going to ask another question. Do, what about your mom? Yeah. I have a relationship with my biological mom and my foster mom, and I still speak to them on the regular. Um, and they have a beautiful relationship with each other. And I'm very fortunate to have that. Oh, I love that. You know, I say it all the time. I think we make stronger children by by realizing that if we would lift the entire family up and not just the child, um, we could the system would be so much better. And you know, I we had somebody, Dana. Remember, we had a uh, somebody from Casa on, and they were telling us about the rules. Right. Yep. Where you cannot maintain a relationship with a child as a Casa after the child leaves care or after your you know time with them is done and she maintained a relationship with a girl that she was a mentor to for three years because the girl was old enough to have social media and so they continued to stay connected that way but yeah it's just such a disservice to the kids who build trust and build a relationship whether it's foster parents a mentor a casa um, a social worker somebody that takes a real interest in them and then to have them have to be cut off it's just another you know 
must feel like another abandonment to the child. So uh, it's great that you have that relationship with both. So when did you actually reunite with your mom? Was she there all along and she just needed help? Or what What was that like? Yeah, so we had consistent visitation throughout and it was a slow process. By the time I was about 16 or 17 was the time, was finally when there was conversation about reunification and about uh, me like, uh, no longer being part of the system as, you know, are kind of going back into an alms care, at which point I was, you know, about a year away from finishing up high school. And I was like, I have all these relationships, all these friends, but I'm like, that, you know, that angsty teenager that's like, oh, my friend, you know? <laughs> and so I, um, actually, in some, in some way, I had kind of already grown, and it's kind of sad to say, I had already grown jaded to this notion of, you know, I want my forever family. And so I kind of just uh, looked at the situation and kind of became, became a realist and was like, you know, realistically, like, if I go back with my mom right now, then, like, all these connections that I had at school, um, and, like, I only have, like, it'll be one year before I'm off at college. Anyway, so uh, at that point, when the conversation came up, I was like, yeah, I, I want to remain here. And it was a conversation between all of us, um, my sister, my mom, and my foster mom, all of us, we were all had that conversation about whether like what we wanted to do going forward and so we just remained in foster the entire time wow so many things i want to say about that um and and again uh, everybody has a different story but uh, one of the things that that i mean i do believe that children deserve to have permanency um and i i love the fact that you have a relationship with your bio mom and your foster mom and your bio sister and you know um the sad thing is, is that I I see more kids that are moved from home to home to home to home, coming in at the age of five, and no wonder they're angry at sixteen. You know, I feel like, you know, we all fall. Every single one of us, we have all fallen in our lives, and we need help getting up. But how many times do you help somebody get up until it's time for a child to be able to start getting on with their lives? And I just feel like that many years in the system, I just believe the system failed. Um, you know, it, either they should have gotten all what your mother needed to get you back at a younger age um, or there should have been more permanency and that's just my opinion I'm a true believer in reunification I believe that we should not tear families apart we should figure out how we can keep them together but once they are torn apart we have to figure out how quickly can we put them back together so I'm glad that your outcome has been amazing yeah I actually there's um it's it's Situationally, um, and in, in the, the interesting thing about it is that I was then rendered with the ability to take advantage of services that allowed for me to transition into adulthood that I would not have had had I been either adopted by my foster family or had I reunited with my foster with my biological mom. Because, for example, I when I emancipated from the system, it was roughly 2012, and that was around the time that. The uh, Affordable Care Act was then ratified and, um, or actually, just kidding, it was Assembly Bill 12 in California extended foster care until the age of 21. And so I that was right as I turned 18, that was ratified in California, and so I was allowed to be my own foster parent at the age of 21. So under, because I was still considered a foster youth, I still had medical insurance, um, and I was still getting paid, and I had to be, you know, either in work or in school part-time and still meet with a social worker once a month. And just as I was about to turn 21 and emancipate 
from the system. The Affordable Care Act was ratified, and, and then I was allowed to be under, you know, under Medicaid. Uh, let's say I was allowed to have health insurance until the age of 26. And so just the, like, happenstance of, like, um, this, these legislation, this piece of legislation that allowed me to take advantage of services that I would have not had otherwise, um, you know, things about health insurance and, you know, supports that I, because that to me was the most transitional and the most formative and the hardest was transitioning into adulthood. Because as, as I mentioned, this foster home, although they were supportive throughout that time, there was not that level of permanency that I could rely, rely on them financially and for health insurance, things like that throughout my adulthood, my transition to adulthood. So I, it just, you know, um, all because at that time I decided that I wasn't, that I didn't want to, you know, be adopted or that I didn't want to uh, reunite with my mom. So in some sense, it was kind of like a blessing in disguise. Wow. Well, listen, I will tell you, I am so impressed with your story. I'm impressed with you. I cannot wait for you to come to our center in Rockville, Maryland, take a tour of it, sit down at the table and, you know, let's do another podcast. So as we end this, you know, Dana and I always, first of all, I want everybody to please make sure they go to youarefosterstrong.org, find out about this organization. You know, I purchased my merchandise, you know, I can't wait to do my TikTok with my merchandise. Dana's our TikTok person. But listen, what I really would like to know is Dana always asks a question to every one of our guests, and I'm dying to hear your answer. So, Dana, as we wrap this up. Um, If you could change two things about the foster care system, what would they be? First and foremost, I think one of the biggest issues of the foster care system is communication. I think there's such a lack of communication. Uh, Being able to track, you know, just simple things. I remember there were times where when I transitioned into a grade school, they were like, what grade are you in? And it was like, well, shouldn't you know this kind of a thing? So being able to communicate between different systems, so like the housing system, the juvenile justice system, the health insurance system, and being able to, and the mental health system, and the the child welfare system, they all need to communicate. So at the same time, because of HIPAA violations, there's a lot of privacy concerns, and I think there needs to be a lot more guidance specifically on how to communicate, what is is okay to communicate, because I think a lot of social workers find themselves, and I know, you know, being, having been a social worker, that it's very difficult to figure out, okay, what can I and what can I not share about this case and to know what is okay. So I think uh, guidance around communication and, you know, making making the communication, these lines of communication, because I say all the time that growing up in in a system where it does not communicate to other systems is the equivalent, because my parents are the system, is equivalent to having a dysfunctional marriage, growing up in a dysfunctional marriage on top of all the other trauma. And so that's one change that I would make. Second is um, uh, allow, allow social workers to have more time to do what they really want to do. Because I, I just remember telling social workers just a lot, lots and lots of notes um, and very little connection. Um, so the proportionality between the time for connection and the time for writing notes and documenting everything that they're doing. Um, I think that that, that there's, you know, I, I remember having meeting with my social worker and then having a notebook out and taking notes on everything because why? Because they have to go back and enter their notes on certain things. Um, I do understand that there's definitely, definitely you want to be tracking and making sure that hours are being used correctly and that money is, and that they, they want to see uh, and have accountability and things like the same thing. I do think that there's, and important, like just recognizing someone's humanity 
uh, not on paper. Uh, you know, I'm not a receipt. I'm not a number. I'm a person. Here I am. Let's talk. Wow. I yep, love We haven't those. heard those two before. I have not heard those two answers, and I love them. Listen, my friend, I want to thank you so much for taking time out to be on Fostering Strong. Um, Dana, where can they all listen to this? So you can listen um, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Deezer, and TuneIn. Just look up Fostering Change. And also, don't forget to leave us a review. And you can also go to um, comfortcases.org slash podcast to get all the show notes, to get links to Foster Strong and links to follow Lino on social media. And we will just have all of the show notes there. Yeah. And and please make sure that you tune in to Foster Strong's podcast. You know, I'm excited about it. They had an episode the other day. I think you have another one that comes out today. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm really excited about listening to the podcast. And, and I, I can't wait to continue to keep following this journey. You know, um, I say it all the time. We all have an opportunity to be part of the change and you guys are definitely doing that. So thank you for allowing us to be a part of this with you. And I hope you have an amazing rest of your day, everyone. Thank you, Lena. I appreciate it. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.